The Return of the King, Book One, Chapter Four, Part Two, The Siege of Gondor. The bells of day had scarcely rung out again, a mockery in the unlightened dark, when far away he saw fires spring up, across in the dim spaces where the walls of the Pelinor stood. The watchmen cried aloud, and all men in the city stood to arms. Now ever and anon there was a red flash, and slowly through the heavy air dull rumbles could be heard. "'They have taken the wall!' men cried. "'They are blasting breaches in it. They are coming!' "'Where is Faramir?' cried Baragond in dismay. "'Say not that he has fallen.' It was Gandalf that brought the first tidings. With a handful of horsemen he came in the middle morning, riding as escort to a line of wains. They were filled with wounded men, all that could be saved from the wreck of the causeway forts. At once he went to Denethor. The lord of the city sat now in a high chamber above the hall of the White Tower, with Pippin at his side, and through the dim windows, north and south and east, he bent his dark eyes, as if to pierce the shadows of doom that ringed him round. Most to the north he looked, and would pause at whiles to listen as if by some ancient art his ears might hear the thunder of hoofs on the plains far away. "'Is Faramir come?' he asked. "'No,' said Gandalf. "'But he still lived when I left him. "'Yet he is resolved to stay with the rear guard, "'lest the retreat over the Pelinor become a rout. "'He may, perhaps, hold his men together long enough, "'but I doubt it. "'He is pitted against a foe too great. "'For one has come that I feared.' "'Not the Dark Lord!' cried Pippin, "'forgetting his place in his terror.' Denethor laughed bitterly. "'Nay, not yet, Master Peregrine. He will not come save only to triumph over me when all is won. He uses others as his weapons. So do all great lords if they are wise, Master Halfling. Or why should I sit here in my tower and think and watch and wait, spending even my sons? For I can still wield a brand.' He stood up and cast open his long black cloak, and, behold, he was clad in mail beneath, and girt with a long sword, great-hilted in a sheath of black and silver. "'Thus have I walked, and thus now for many years have I slept,' he said, lest with age the body should grow soft and timid. "'Yet now under the lord of Barad-dûr the most fell of all his captains is already master of your outer walls,' said Gandalf. King of Angmar long ago, sorcerer, ring-wraith, lord of the Nazgul, a spear of terror in the hand of Sauron, shadow of despair. Then, Mithrandir, you had a foe to match you, said Denethor. For myself, I have long known who is the chief captain of the hosts of the Dark Tower. Is this all that you have returned to say, or can it be that you have withdrawn because you are overmatched? Pippin trembled fearing that Gandalf would be stung to sudden wrath, but his fear was needless. "'It might be so,' Gandalf answered softly, "'but our trial of strength has not yet come. And if words spoken of old be true, not by the hand of man shall he fall, and be hidden from the wise—whoops! And hidden from the wise is the doom that awaits him. However that may be, the captain of despair does not press forward yet.' He rules rather according to the wisdom that you have just spoken, from the rear, driving his slaves in madness on before. Nay, I came rather to guard the hurt men that can yet be healed, 
for the Ramus is breached far and wide, and soon the host of Morgul will enter in at many points. And I came chiefly to say this, soon there will be battle on the fields. A sortie must be made ready. Let it be of mounted men. In them lies our brief hope, for in one thing only is the enemy still poorly provided. He has few horsemen. And we also have few. Now would the coming of Rohan be in the nick of time, said Denethor. We are likely to see other newcomers first, said Gandalf. Fugitives from Ker Andros have already reached us. The isle has fallen. Another army is come from the Black Gate, crossing from the northeast. Some have accused you, Mithrandir, of delighting to bear ill news, said Denethor. But to me this is no longer news. It was known to me ere nightfall yesterday. As for the sortie, I have already given thought to it. Let us go down. Time passed. At length watchers on the walls could see the retreat of the out-companies. Small bands of weary and often wounded men came first with little order. Some were running wildly as if pursued. Away to the eastward the distant fires flickered, and now it seemed that here and there they crept across the plain. Houses and barns were burning. Then from many points little rivers of red flame came hurrying on, winding through the gloom, converging towards the line of the broad road that led from the city gate to Osgiliath. "'The enemy!' men murmured. "'The dyke is down. Here they come pouring through the breaches, and they carry torches, it seems. Where are our own folk?' It drew now to evening by the hour, and the light was so dim that even far-sighted men upon the citadel could discern little clearly out upon the fields, save only the burnings that ever multiplied, and the lines of fire that grew in length and speed. At last, less than a mile from the city, a more ordered mass of men came into view, marching, not running, still holding together. The watchers held their breath. "'Faramir must be there,' they said. "'He can govern man and beast. He will make it yet.' Now the main retreat was scarcely two furlongs distant. Out of the gloom behind a small company of horse—whoops! Out of the gloom behind a small company of horsemen galloped. All that was left of the rear guard. At once they turned at bay, facing the oncoming lines of fire. Then suddenly there was a tumult of fierce cries. Horsemen of the enemy swept up. The lines of fire became flowing torrents, file upon file of orcs bearing flames, and wild Southron men with red banners, shouting with harsh tongues, surging up, overtaking the retreat. And with a piercing cry out of the dim sky fell the winged shadows, the Nazgul stooping to the kill. The retreat became a rout. Already men were breaking away, flying wild and witless here and there, flinging away their weapons, crying out in fear, falling to the ground. And then a trumpet rang from the citadel, and Denethor at last released the sortie. Drawn up within the shadow of the gate and under the looming walls outside, they had waited for his signal. All the mounted men that were left in the city. Now they sprang forward, formed, quickened to a gallop, and charged with a great shout. And from the walls an answering shout went up, for foremost on the field rode the swan knights of Dal Amroth with their prince and his blue banner at their head. "'Amroth for Gondor!' they cried. "'Amroth to Faramir!' Like thunder they broke upon the enemy on either flank of the retreat, but one rider outran them all, 
swift as the wind in the grass. Shadowfax bore him, shining, unveiled once more, a light starting from his upraised hand. The Nazgul screeched and swept away, for their captain was not yet come to challenge the white foe of his, uh, for their captain was not yet come to challenge the white fire of his foe. The hosts of Morgul, intent on their prey, taken at unawares in wild career, broke, scattering like sparks in a gale. The outcompanies, with a great cheer, turned and smote their pursuers. Hunters became the hunted. The retreat became an onslaught. The field was strewn with stricken orcs and men, and a reek arose of torches cast away, sputtering out in swirling smoke. The cavalry rode on. But Denethor did not permit them to go far. Though the enemy was checked, and for the moment driven back, great forces were flowing in from the east. Again the trumpet rang, sounding the retreat. The cavalry of Gondor halted. Behind their screen the outcompanies reformed. Now steadily they came marching back. They reached the gate of the city and entered, stepping proudly, and proudly the people of the city looked on them and cried their praise, and yet they were troubled in heart. For the companies were grievously reduced. Faramir had lost a third of his men, and where was he? Last of all he came. His men passed in, the mounted knights returned, and at their rear the banner of Dal Amroth and the prince. And in his arms before him on his horse he bore the body of his kinsman, Faramir, son of Denethor, found upon the stricken field. "'Faramir! Faramir!' men cried, weeping in the streets. But he did not answer, and they bore him away up the winding road to the citadel and his father." Even as the Nazgul had swerved aside from the onset of the white rider, there came flying a deadly dart, and Faramir, as he held at bay a mounted champion of Harad, had fallen to the earth. Only the charge of Dol Amroth had saved him from the red Southland swords that would have hewed him as he lay. The Prince Imrahil brought Faramir to the white tower, and he said, "'Your son has returned, Lord, after great deeds,' and he told all that he had seen, but Denethor rose and looked on the face of his son and was silent. Then he bade them make a bed in the chamber and lay Faramir upon it and depart. But he himself went up alone to the secret room under the summit of the tower, and many who looked up thither at that time saw a pale light that gleamed and flickered from the narrow windows for a while, and then flashed and went out. And when Denethor descended again he went to Faramir and sat beside him without speaking, but the face of the Lord was grey more death-like than his sons. So now at last the city was besieged, enclosed in a ring of foes. The Ramas was broken, and all the Pelinor abandoned to the enemy. The last word to come from outside the walls was brought by men flying down the northward road ere the gate was shut. They were the remnant of the guard that was kept at that point, where the way from Anorian and Rohan ran into the townlands. Ingold led them, the same who had admitted Gandalf and Pippin less than five days before, while the sun still rose, and there was hope in the morning. "'There is no news of the Rohirrim,' he said. "'Rohan will not come now, or if they come it will not avail us. The new host that we had tidings of has come first, from over the river by way of Andros, it is said. They are strong, battalions of orcs of the eye, and countless companies of men of a new sort that we have not met before.' not tall, but broad and grim, bearded like dwarves, wielding great axes. Out of some savage land in the wide east they come, we deem. They hold the northward road, 
and many have passed on into Anorian. The Rohirrim cannot come. The gate was shut. All night watchmen on the walls heard the rumour of the enemy that roamed outside, burning field and tree, and hewing any man that they found abroad, living or dead. The numbers that had already passed over the river could not be guessed in the darkness, but when morning or its dim shadow stole over the plain, it was seen that even fear by night had scarcely overcounted them. The plain was dark with their marching companies, and as far as eyes could strain in the murk there sprouted, like a foul fungus growth, all about the beleaguered city great camps of tents, black or sombre red. Busy as ants, hurrying orcs were digging, digging lines of deep trenches in a huge ring, just out of bowshot from the walls, and as if the trenches were made, uh, and as the trenches were made, each was filled with fire, though how it was kindled or fed, by art or devilry, none could see. All day the labour went forward, while the men of Minas Tirith looked on, unable to hinder it. And as each length of trench was completed, they could see great wains approaching, and soon yet more companies of the enemy were swiftly setting up, each behind the cover of a trench, great engines for the casting of missiles. There were none upon the city walls large enough to reach so far, or to stay the work. At first men laughed, and did not greatly fear such devices, for the main walls of the city were of great height and marvellous thickness, built ere the power and craft of Numenor waned in exile, and its outward face was like to the tower of Orthanc, hard and dark and smooth, unconquerable by steel or fire, unbreakable except by some convulsion that would rend the very earth on which it stood. "'Nay,' they said, "'not if the nameless one himself should come, not even he could enter here while we yet live.' But some answered, "'While we yet live? How long? He has a weapon that has brought low many strong places since the world began. Hunger! The roads are cut. Rohan will not come.' But the engines did not waste shot upon the indomitable wall. It was no brigand or orf orc chieftain that ordered the assault upon the lord of Mordor's greatest foe. A power and mind of malice guided it. As soon as the great catapults were set, with many yells and the creaking of rope and winch, they began to throw missiles marvellously high, so that they passed right above the battlement and fell thudding within the first circle of the city and many of them by some secret art burst into flame as they came toppling down. Soon there was great peril of fire behind the wall, and all who could be spared were busy quelling the flames that sprang up in many places. Then among the greater castes there fell another hail, less ruinous but more horrible. All about the streets and lanes behind the gate it tumbled down, small round shot that did not burn. But when men ran to learn what it might be, they cried aloud or wept, for the enemy was flinging into the city all the heads of those that had fallen fighting at Osgiliath, or on the Ramas, or in the fields. They were grim to look on, for though some were crushed and shapeless, and some had been cruelly hewn, yet many had features that could be told, and it seemed that they had died in pain, and all were branded with the foul token of the lidless eye. But, marred and dishonoured as they were, it often chanced that thus a man would see again the face of someone he had known, who had walked proudly once in arms, or tilled the fields, or ridden in upon a holiday from the green vales in the hills. In vain men shook their fists at the pitiless foes that swarmed before the gate. Curses they heeded not, 
nor understood the tongues of western men, crying with harsh voices like beasts and carrion birds. But soon there were few left in Minas Tirith who had the heart to stand up and defy the hosts of Mordor. For yet another weapon, swifter than hunger, the lord of the dark tower had, dread and despair. The Nazgul came again, and as their dark lord grew, uh, and as their dark lord now grew and put forth his strength, so their voices, which uttered only his will and his malice, were filled with evil and horror. Even they circled above the city like vultures that expect their fill of doomed men's flesh. Out of sight and shot they flew, and yet were ever present, and their deadly voices rent the air. More unbearable they became, not less, at each new cry. At length even the stout-hearted would fling themselves to the ground as the hidden menace passed over them, or they would stand, letting their weapons fall from nerveless hands, while into their minds a blackness came, and they thought no more of war, but only of hiding and of crawling, and of death. During all this black day Faramir lay upon his bed in the chamber of the White Tower, wandering in a desperate fever, dying, someone said, and soon— Dying, all men were saying upon the walls and in the streets. And by him his father sat, and said nothing, but watched, and gave no longer any heed to the defence. No hour so dark had Pippin known, not even in the clutches of the uruk -hai. It was his duty to wait upon the Lord, and wait he did, forgotten, it seemed, standing by the door of the unlit chamber, mastering his own fears as best he could. And as he watched— it seemed to him that Denethor grew old before his eyes, as if something had snapped in his proud will, and his stern mind was overthrown. Grief, maybe, had wrought it, and remorse. He saw tears on that once tearless face, more unbearable than wrath. "'Do not weep, Lord,' he stammered. "'Perhaps he will get well. Have you asked Gandalf?' "'Comfort me not with wizards,' said Denethor. "'The fool's hope has failed. "'The enemy has found it, and now his power waxes. "'He sees our very thoughts, and all we do is ruinous. "'I sent my son forth, unthanked, unblessed, out into needless peril, "'and here he lies with poison in his veins. "'Nay, nay, whatever may now betide in war, my line too is ending. "'Even the house of the stewards has failed. "'Mean folk shall rule the last remnant of the kings of men.' "'lurking in the hills until all are hounded out.' "'Men came to the door, crying for the lord of the city. "'Nay, I will not come down,' he said. "'I must stay beside my son. "'He might still speak before the end. "'But that is near. "'Follow whom you will, even the grey fool, though his hope has failed. "'Here I stay.' So it was that Gandalf took command of the last defence of the city of Gondor. Wherever he came, men's hearts would lift again, and the winged shadows pass from memory. Tirelessly he strode from citadel to gate, from north to south about the wall, and with him went the prince of Dal Amroth in his shining mail. For he and his knights still held themselves like lords in whom the race of Numenor ran true. Men saw them, men that saw them, whispered, saying, Belike the old tale speak well. There is elvish blood in the veins of that folk, for the people of Nimrodel dwelt in that land once long ago. And then one would sing amid the gloom some staves of the Lay of Nimrodel, or other songs of the Vale of Anduin, out of vanished years. 
And yet, when they had gone, the shadows closed on men again, and their hearts went cold, and the valor of Gondor withered into ash. And so slowly they passed out of a dim day of fears into the darkness of a desperate night. Fires now raged unchecked in the first circle of the city, and the garrison upon the outer wall was already in many places cut off from retreat. But the faithful who remained there at their posts were few. Most had fled beyond the second gate. Far behind the battle the river had been swiftly bridged, and all day more force and gear of war had poured across. Now at last, in the middle night, the assault was loosed. The vanguard passed through the trenches of fire by many devious paths that had been left between them. On they came, reckless of their loss as they approached, still bunched and herded, within the range of bowmen on the wall. But indeed there were too few now left there to do them great damage, though the light of the fires showed up many a mark for archers of, stu of such skill as Gondor once had boasted. Then, perceiving that the valor of the city was already beaten down, the hidden captain put forth his strength. Slowly the great siege-towers built in Osgiliath rolled forward through the dark. Messengers came again to the chamber in the white tower, and Pippin let them enter, for they were urgent. Denethor turned his head slowly from Faramir's face, and looked at them silently. "'The first circle of the city is burning, lord,' they said. "'What are your commands?' You are still the lord and steward. Not all will follow Mithrandir. Men are flying from the walls and leaving them unmanned. Why? Why do the fools fly? said Denethor. Better to burn sooner than late, for burn we must. Go back to your bonfire. And I? I will go now to my pyre, to my pyre. No tomb for Denethor and Faramir, no tomb. No long, slow sleep of death embalmed. We will burn like heathen kings before ever a ship sailed hither from the west. The west has failed. Go back and burn. The messengers, without bow or answer, turned and fled. Now Denethor stood up and released the fevered hand of Faramir that he had held. He is burning, already burning, he said sadly. The house of his spirit crumbles. Then, stepping softly towards Pippin, he looked down at him. Farewell, he said, farewell, Peregrine, son of Paladin. Your service has been short, and now it is drawing to an end. I release you from the little that remains. Go now, and die in what way seems best to you, and with whom you will, even that friend whose folly brought you to this death. Send for my servants, and then go. Farewell. I will not say farewell, my lord, said Pippin, kneeling. And then suddenly, hobbit-like once more, he stood up and looked the old man in the eyes. "'I will take your leave, sir,' he said, "'for I want to see Gandalf very much indeed, "'but he is no fool, and I will not think of dying "'until he despairs of life. "'But from my word and your service "'I do not wish to be released while you live. "'And if they come at last to the citadel, "'I hope to be here and stand beside you "'and earn perhaps the arms that you have given me.' "'Do as you will, Master Halfling,' said Denethor, "'but my life is broken. "'Send for my servants.' "'He turned back to Faramir.' Pippin left him, and called for the servants, and they came, six men of the household, strong and fair, yet they trembled at the summons. But in a quiet voice Denethor bade them lay warm coverlets on Faramir's bed, and take it up. And they did so, lifting up from the bed, and, and lifting up the bed they bore it from the chamber. 
Slowly they paced to trouble the fevered man as little as might be, and Denethor, now bending on a staff, followed them, and last came Pippin. Out from the white tower they walked, as if to a funeral, out into the darkness, where the overhanging cloud was lit beneath with flickers of dull red. Softly they paced the great courtyard, and at a word from Denethor halted beside the withered tree. All was silent save for the rumour of war in the city down below, and they heard the water dripping sadly from the dead branches into the dark pool. Then they went on through the citadel gate, where the sentinel stared at them in wonder and dismay as they passed by. Turning westward, they came at length to a door in the rearward wall of the sixth circle. Fen Hollen, it was called, for it was kept ever shut save at times of funeral, and only the lord of the city might use that way, or those who bore the token of the tombs and tended the houses of the dead. Beyond it went a winding road that descended in many curves down to the narrow land under the shadow of Mindaloan's precipice, where stood the mansions of the dead kings and of their stewards. A porter sat in a little house beside the way, and with fear in his eyes he came forth bearing a lantern in his hand. At the Lord's command he unlocked the door, and silently it swung back, and they passed through, taking the lantern from his hand. It was dark on the climbing road between ancient walls and many pillared balusters looming in the swaying lantern beam. Their slow feet echoed as they walked down, down, until at last they came to the silent street, Rath Dinen, between pale domes and empty halls and images of men long dead, and they entered into the house of the stewards and set down their burden. There Pippin, staring uneasily about him, saw that he was in a wide vaulted chamber, draped, as it were, with the great shadows that the little lantern threw upon its shrouded walls. And dimly to be seen were many rows of tables, carved of marble, and upon each table lay a sleeping form, hands folded, head pillowed upon stone. But at one table near at hand, whoops, but one table near at hand stood broad and bare. Upon it, at a sign from Denethor, they laid Faramir and his father side by side, and covered them with one covering, and stood then with bowed heads as mourners beside a bed of death. Then Denethor spoke in a low voice. "'Here we will wait,' he said, "'but send not for the embalmers. Bring us wood quick to burn, and lay it all about us, and beneath, and pour oil upon it. And when I bid you, th and when I bid you thrust in a torch. Do this, and speak no more to me. Farewell.' "'By your leave, lord,' said Pippin, and turned and fled in terror from the deathly house. "'Poor Faramir,' he thought, "'I must find Gandalf. Poor Faramir! Quite likely he needs medicine more than tears. Oh, where can I find Gandalf? In the thick of things, I suppose, and he will have no time to spare for dying men or madmen.' At the door he turned to one of the servants who had remained on guard there. "'Your master is not himself,' he said. "'Go slow. Bring no fire to this place while Faramir lives. Do nothing until Gandalf comes.' "'Who is the master of Minas Tirith?' the man answered. "'The Lord Denethor, or the Grey Wanderer?' "'The Grey Wanderer, or no one, it would seem,' said Pippin. And he sped back and up the winding way as swiftly as his feet would carry him, past the astonished porter, out through the door, and on, till he came near the gate of the citadel.' The sentinel hailed him as he went by, and he recognized the voice of Baragond. "'Whither do you run, Master Peregrine?' he cried. "'To find Mithrandir,' Pippin answered. 
"'The Lord's errands are urgent and should not be hindered by me,' said Baragon. "'But tell me quickly, if you may, what goes forward? "'Whither has my lord gone? "'I have just come on duty, but I heard that he passed towards the closed door, "'and men were bearing Faramir before him.' "'Yes,' said Pippin, "'to the silent street.' "'Baragon bowed his head to hide his tears. "'They said that he was dying,' he sighed, "'and now he is dead.' "'No,' said Pippin, "'not yet. "'And even now his death might be prevented, I think. "'But the lord of the city, Baragond, has, "'has fallen before his city is taken. "'He is fey and dangerous.' "'Quickly he told of Denethor's strange words and deeds. "'I must find Gandalf at once.' "'Then you must go down to the battle.' "'I know. "'The lord has given me leave. "'But, Baragond, if you can, "'do something to stop any dreadful thing happening.' "'The Lord does not permit those who wear the black and silver "'to leave their post for any cause, save at his own command.' "'Well, you must choose between orders and the life of Faramir,' said Pippin. "'And as for orders, I think you have a madman to deal with, not a lord. "'I must run. I will return if I can.' "'He ran on, down, down, towards the outer city. "'Men flying back from the burning passed him, "'and some seeing his livery turned and shouted, but he paid no heed.' At last he was through the second gate, beyond which great fires leaped up between the walls. Yet it seemed strangely silent. No noise or shouts of battle or din of arms could be heard. Then suddenly there was a dreadful cry and a great shock, and a deep echoing boom. Forcing himself on against a gust of fear and horror that shook him almost to his knees, Pippin turned a corner opening on the wide place behind the city gate. He stopped dead. He had found Gandalf— but he shrank back, cowering into a shadow. Ever since the middle night the great assault had gone on. The drums rolled. To the north and to the south, company upon company of the enemy pressed to the walls. There came great beasts, like moving houses in the red and fitful light, the mumakil of the Harad, dragging through the lanes amid the fires huge towers and engines. Yet their captain cared not greatly what they did, or how many might be slain. Their purpose was only to test the strength of the defence, and to keep the men of Gondor busy in many places. It was against the gate that he would throw his heaviest weight. Very strong it might be, wrought of steel and iron, and guarded with towers and bastions of indomitable stone, yet it was the key, the weakest point in all that high and impenetrable wall." The drums rolled louder, fires leaped up, great engines crawled across the field, and in the midst was a huge ram, great as a forest tree a hundred feet in length, swinging on mighty chains. Long had it been forging in the dark smithies of Mordor, and its hideous head, founded of black steel, was shaped in the likeness of a ravening wolf. On it spells of ruin lay. Grand, they named it, in memory of the hammer of the underworld of old. Great beasts drew it, Orcs surrounded it, and behind walked mountain trolls to wield it. But about the gate resistance still was stout, and there the knights of Dol Amrath and the hardiest of the garrison stood at bay. Shot and dart fell thick. Siege towers crashed or blazed suddenly like torches. All before the walls on either side of the gate the ground was choked with wreck and the bodies of the slain, yet still driven as by a madness more and more came up. Grand crawled on. Upon its housing no fire would catch, 
and though now and again some great beast that hauled it would go mad and spread stamping ruin among the orcs innumerable that guarded it, their bodies were cast aside from its path, and others took their place. Grand crawled on. The drums rolled wildly. Over the hills of Slain a hideous shape appeared, a horseman, tall, hooded, cloaked in black. Slowly, trampling the fallen, he rode forth, heeding no longer any dart. He halted and held up a long, pale sword. And as he did so, a great fear fell on all, defender and foe alike. And the hands of men drooped to their sides, and no bow sang. For a moment all was still. The drums rolled and rattled. With a vast rush, Grand was hurled forward by huge hands. It reached the gate. It swung. A deep boom rumbled through the city like thunder running in the clouds, but the doors of iron and posts of steel withstood the stroke. Then the black captain rose in his stirrups and cried aloud in a dreadful voice, speaking in some forgotten tongue words of power and terror to rend both heart and stone. Thrice he cried, thrice the great ram boomed, and suddenly upon the last stroke the gate of Gondor broke. As if stricken by some blasting spell, it burst asunder. There was a flash of searing lightning, and the doors tumbled in riven fragments to the ground. In rode the lord of the Nazgul. A great black shape against the fires beyond, he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face. All save one. There, waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax, Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image in Rathdinan. "'You cannot enter here,' said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. "'Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go.' The black rider flung back his hood, and, behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fire shone between it and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. "'Old fool,' he said, "'old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain.' and with that he lifted high his sword, and flames ran down the blade. Gandalf did not move. And in that very moment, away behind in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning in that sky far above the shadows of death. Whoops. Welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above— Ah! <laughs> Shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if in answer there came from far away another note, horns, 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 in dark Mindaloan sides they dimly echoed, great horns of the north wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last. End of chapter four. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org. 
on Monday, September 22nd, which happens to be Frodo and Bilbo's birthday. So happy birthday, Bilbo and Frodo. Uh, anyway, uh, September 22nd, 2014 in San Diego, California. <laughs>